So when people say, oh, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but I find myself doing it, they simply, the awareness does not have control of the mind and the body. That's all that it is. How do you do that? How do you get control of the mind and the body? This is where meditation comes in. Yeah, sort of the buzzword, and people say it's this new age fancy thing. Well, you know, bloody COVID immunization is new age compared to um, meditation. It's been around for like tens of thousands of years. Meditation simply means to become aware of. That's all it is. I have lots of people say to me, oh, Darren, I tried meditating, but I couldn't work. Couldn't work it out. I sat down and all my thoughts were just going everywhere. That is what we are after. When a human says, I can't meditate, it's equivalent to a fish saying, I can't swim. When you are sitting down, focusing on the air coming in and out of your nose, and you are aware that your thoughts are scattered, that may be the first time in your day, potentially life, that you have become aware of what your thoughts are doing. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest is someone with a truly diverse and fascinating background. He is a peak performance strategist, a behavioral scientist, and a formal international elite athlete where he represented Australia in sailing for over 10 years. He's also achieved a brown belt in judo. Graduating from the University of South Australia with a degree in psychology and a background in neuro-linguistic programming, he has an incredible journey so far, having worked in a range of different professions, from being a paralegal to a debt collector, to taking up leadership training and coaching roles at Westpac, and even being a statistician for the Australian government. Today, he uses wealth of experience and expertise to help major Australian and international companies unblock their performance. He is passionate about helping people overcome their limitations and achieve their goals with greater ease. His client list includes top 100 global companies such as Cisco, Caterpillar and Komatsu. Please welcome a prolific author having written six books on communication, leadership and influence and is launching a new book, Mindset Mastery, Darren Fleming. Darren, welcome to the show. G'day, thanks for having me on. Ah, beautiful. Now, you're a good-looking man, and so I'm wondering, where did you grow up, and what was the big dream as a child? Oh, where did I grow up? I went to seven schools across two states. So when you say, where did I grow up, it means what year. Uh, <laughs> born in Wangaratta, country Victoria, did two years of schooling there across two schools, then moved to Sydney, grew up in Moorbank, uh, so Western Sydney, 1980s. Not exactly the most uh, easy of environments to uh, to grow up in. Um, public schools, then went to Patrician Brothers for four years and off to John Terry Catholic High School in Campbelltown for another couple of years. Yeah, interesting. And you, you talk about, you know, living, uh, growing up in sort of West Sydney in that space, but uh, after, you know, spending your time in, in Victoria and you said it wasn't that easy. Tell us a little bit more. Well... At the time, it was just life. So, you know, life was life and you, you, you've got nothing to compare it to. But this this is the suburbs that produced Ivan Milat. Let's put it that way. Um, I went to, you know, the same sort of area. What, what do I think about now? 
at the, well, at the time, it was just life and that's just what you did. And you just went forward. But looking back now, I thought, geez, that's actually a pretty rough environment. I remember running home from schools cause, school because someone wanted to beat me up and, you know, just looking at what my kids go through today, there's nothing of that. Air mm. it to back then and I go, wow. Yeah, well, it's great. Great to see that it's evolved in nothing like a little bit of adversity to to drive you forward to make a, a make a difference in life or to succeed in life. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember a few years ago when my daughter was probably year five, six, so that sort of uh, um, maybe a bit younger, talking to her about bullying in the schoolroom and, you know, oh, do people get bullied? And she, what's bullying, Dad? Hmm. And it just was not a factor in their school environment. I just think that's beautiful in the space of a generation. Now, a completely different city. I'm in Adelaide and that was Sydney. Um, but it just wasn't something that was there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so while you were you were running home or <laughs> you're in the playgrounds as a child, what was the big dream? What sort of fascinated you and um, kept the creative juices flowing? Uh, as, as a kid, I don't think it was uh, a dream other than get home to hopefully somewhere that's safe. I The reason we moved to country Victoria, from country Victoria to Sydney is because my parents had, uh, they set up an airline in, in country Victoria, ferrying people from Wangaratta to Melbourne and around the area. And that airline went bust. Uh, so no money. So we had to, you know, went bankrupt, lost the house, lost job. Mum and dad both worked in the business. So they lost everything i remember coming home and seeing the man from st vincent de paul at the table ordering uh taking a shopping list from mum and he'd go buy the food and come back we could eat that week that's that's how you know where it was when we moved to sydney my parents couldn't afford the um new school uniforms hmm. so i had to wear the school uniform from the old school and you know western sydney 1980s early 1980s you're wearing the new uniform a different uniform you stand out and man you, you just got hit yeah for sure so, so the dream is to get home from the, at the end of the day as opposed to to go off and do anything amazing and you did very well in sport was did that did that sort of take hold when you're a little bit younger or more towards your your later formative years as a teenager uh when you started to find your love in in the world of sailing and uh and, and even judo later on yeah, well, it started off in swimming. I, when we moved to Sydney, mum looked at me and gone, no, we've got to funnel this kid into something. And we, I, she enrolled me in swimming at uh, one of the local swimming pools. And that was just, I looked forward to that each weekend because I could just get into the pool and swim my heart out. I was probably the slowest kid in the pool, but I thought I was going to win an Olympic gold. Um, and that, that focused my attention. And, uh, and if I had have trained, I might have actually been fairly good but mum and dad four kids no time to take anyone to training we lived ages from the the school or the swimming pool so it didn't really take off then we moved to another house and across the road there was a judo school and i got involved uh, with that that was at newbridge heights public school in moorbank chipping norton and a gentleman by the name of peter rousel was the sensei and through there, I did judo and jujitsu, and that was gave me focus. It gave me a direction. Mm. And then, when I was about fourteen, Dad went and bought a little sailboat, and then I got hooked by sailing. And from the age of about fourteen through to early thirties, my life just revolved around sailing. That's all it was. Mm. What What was your favourite boat? have to be the fireball 16 foot boat out on wire uh, i was a forward hand so i was on the trapeze out the front and i did i think four world championships with them in canada and australia and thailand and it's just a beautiful fun boat to sail uh, beautiful congratulations on that too on that achievement it's that's Thanks. quite something now we you're moving into the working world um what was your first job when I left school, I wanted to be a lawyer. So I got a job in one of Sydney's top law firms 
and I was assisting barristers in court. They were paying for my uni fees. They were flying me around the countryside. I was assisting barristers. Life was pretty good. Then one of my mentors, who was a lawyer, said, Darren, remember, no one ever calls their lawyer and says, I've had a fantastic day. Can I tell you all about it? Mm. So I stopped studying. They sacked me. The only job I could get was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. Um, I'm not going to say that job sucked because it would be a terrible pun, but it wasn't a great job. I did that for 12 months, and this is out Western Sydney knocking on doors, hello, you want to buy a vacuum cleaner sort of thing. Then I graduated, did two years of telemarketing, then three years of telephone debt collecting for Westpac. Mm -hmm. I have had all the good jobs. <laughs> and so what was the light bulb moment to where you found what you considered to be a good job for you? Uh, I was living in Melbourne and working for a company company called Alpha Laval or Leverage Nudskin Maskin Fabric, as it was known back then. And the MD of the company had been sent out by the head office in Denmark to um, get the company in Australia either making money or wind it up and send the money back to uh, Denmark and they'll invest the money elsewhere. And the MD had been there for 12 months. He'd got rid of underperforming people and products and, and somehow I survived. Uh, and he brought us all together for an all-staff session. I was sitting at the back of the room. I was about 25 or something. And I remember looking to this MD as he was talking to the staff there. And I remember thinking to myself, you are awesome at what you do, but you suck at selling it to me. <laughs> So I went and got myself a degree in psychology, combined that with what I knew about thinking, speaking and selling. And now I go around showing clever people how to manage their mindset in such a way so they can get through the day or like lift their performance to the next level. Or if you're like in the, the depth of the, the crazy that is the world, you can survive, not, not just survive, survive, but thrive and get through mm -hmm. and not let it break you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting there where you, you're starting to touch on a space around, uh, you know, what's holding people back. And I think back to working in sport and, and people always ask me, you know, you, mu you must spend a lot of time motivating athletes. And I'm like, no, I never, ever, ever had to motivate an athlete. They already had enough. But yeah. I was always having to figure out what was holding them back. Mm. And, and that's a big premise of, what, of your work. And so, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, leaders or, or, you know, people in the workforce, what is, what are generally the barriers that hold them back from being able to go to that next level? If we look at the concept of confidence, I think we have that all around the wrong way. Um, you know, we say we've got to build confidence. You've got to build your confidence up. <clears throat> At what age does one have to start building confidence up? Like you've got a newborn baby. That baby doesn't need to get confidence to say, hey, I need to change my nappy. Hey, I'm hungry. He doesn't go, oh, my God, if I say something, will mum come? Oh, maybe they won't. I'll be quiet a bit. They just go, fuck it, this is what I want. I'll say it. Hmm. Then they start when they learn to crawl and when they learn to walk and when language really starts to develop, at that time, we realize that we can potentially fail. So we then hold ourselves back. And because of that, we then need to build confidence up. But I reckon what is happening is we've got the confidence and then we've basically put a blanket on top of ourselves. And then we put another blanket on top. And these are all the things that stop us doing what it is we know we can, but we're just not confident enough to do. Mm. So instead of trying to build confidence to push through all those blankets, why don't we just take them off? Correct. If we take the blankets off, you're going to have who you are and what you are, and you'll be able to do what you choose to do or not do what you choose to not do. Yeah, it's, it's like putting someone on their first day at the gym on the bench press machine and chucking on a couple of hundred kgs and, and wondering why the bar's not moving. <laughs> <laughs> or in my days, uh, even on my hundredth day at the gym, you do that and I was never going to lift it. <laughs> uh, but you, you and, and looking at that, you know, obviously 
being able to take things off, right? Remove the blanket, so to speak. As a leader, how can we do this? Because, you know, we're really busy. Leaders are busy. Um, we've got, you know, we may have quite a big team that we're dealing with, but how can we create that space where we can start to remove those blankets? Yeah. So people don't feel claustrophobic and people can, you know, start to breathe and, and be able to thrive, so to speak. Yeah. When you'd say, how do we remove the blankets? We're talking about our own blankets or for somebody else? Oh, someone else right now. We can come back yeah. to ourselves as well. But oh, let, let, let's look at oh. someone else. Let, let's say we're working, we're leading other people. Um, yeah. And how, how can we assist in that, that situation? So, have you ever been to Brisbane? Yes. Right. So you know what it's like up there. Think of the person who has never been to Brisbane. How do they get to Brisbane? They, they have to go. You can't go to Brisbane for them. Correct. They have to, you know, when you chew your food, you have to swallow it. You have to digest it. Mm. You want to take the blankets off. You can't do it for somebody else. All you can do is do it for yourself. If that person you're leading does not want to step up, you can show them the path. That's how you get to Brisbane. But if they don't want to go to Brisbane, that's not your concern. Now, I get that you've got this person on your team who's not performing, uh, but if they are not willing to step up, that's not your it might be your problem, but it's not your fault, if that makes sense. So we can only ever work with ourselves. If we try and change another person, we are setting ourselves up for misery. So how do we do it with ourselves? It's, a, it's about understanding what I call in the book Mindset Mastery, the sensory body feedback loop. How do, how do we engage with the world? Information comes into us, into our brain, via our sense organs, our seven sense organs, sight, sound, taste, touch, smell. That's their first five. Everyone knows them. Most people forget movement. I don't know why, but the vestibular system, how do you know if you're falling over without that? The seventh one, most people don't realise is a sense organ, but it's the most influential sense organ on us, and that's the mind. The mind tells us what is going on in our brain. So when we have a thought, how do you know you have a thought? It's because the mind picks it up. Mm. Now, you have a thought, that doesn't mean the thought is true, the thought is right, it's just a thought. Sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, movement, mind. They're the seven sense organs. So the first way that we interact with the world is our sense doors are activated. We cognize. We sense this information. What happens then is we, the second step is we recognize. So I'm talking to you, the people who are listening to this are English speakers, maybe native English speakers. If you're an English speaker, a, a proficient one, you cannot hear English and not know the words. So if someone walks up to you and says words in English, you know those words. You cannot not know them. Make sense? Well, I'm not sure I know every word in the in the English dictionary, but yeah, in most cases, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's a matter of comprehension as opposed to understanding. Correct. So we cognize and we recognize. We cannot stop our senses cognizing. So if you're on a boat that moves, you cannot not detect that movement if, if it's beyond a threshold. Uh, if you hear, if you're a person who has good hearing, you hear music, you cannot uh, not hear the music. Mm. You put your hands over your ears, but that's simply blocking. It's not meaning you're not hearing. Cognize, recognize, then we have an evaluation of it. So I'm talking to you and I say something to you about, hey, that is a wonderful background you've got set up there behind you in this video. And you go, oh, that's nice. Darren said something nice. And you have a reaction to it. Oh, I like that. Or I might say something like, gee, that background you got there is a bit bloody hoxy, isn't it? And you'll hear that and you go, well, it's a bit harsh, Darren. You're a bit unfair. And you'll have a negative reaction to it. You'll either have a desirable reaction or an undesirable reaction. That reaction uh, assessment is sent to the body as a sensation. Hmm. Now, you cannot stop this process. The reason you can't stop this process is the brain has to tell the body what's going on. 
So we cognize, we recognize, we become, uh, we assess it, and then a signal is sent to the body. Then we feel that signal and we can have a reaction to that signal. You can either like the signal from the brain to the body. Oh, Darren said my background's nice. I might ask him what it is about my background that he likes. And he might say, you know, I like that gramophone in the background of light and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's really good. And you play those thoughts over and over again because they feel good. Or you might have heard what I said, and I don't like that background. And you go, geez, Darren, your background's not that much better either. I've put a lot of work into this and I like that chair there and blah, blah, blah. And what happens is you start telling yourself from the reaction in your body that you don't like why Darren's wrong or how to get away from it or Darren's an idiot. Making sense so far? Mm-hmm. This is where having the mind as a sense organ makes sense. Because you have that thought that Darren said something nice about my background, it detects the thought and the process starts again. Cognize, recognize, assess, desirable sensation. I like that, have another thought about it, desirable sensation, and the whole process gets caught in a loop. Or it goes down, uh, thought about the background, Darren doesn't like it, Darren must be an idiot. Go back up to the top of Cognize, have a thought about why Darren is an idiot. Look at his background, it's a one, two, and three, therefore he doesn't know, and then thoughts go down, and it continues that feedback loop. You have a craving for something I like him talking about or I have an aversion to it. Darren's an idiot. I don't want to go near him. We get caught in that feedback loop. The question you asked is how do we get rid of those blankets on top of the confidence? The long answer, the, the reason why this answer works is you need the explanation that I've just given, is you simply observe the sensations. Observe without reacting. This is what the Buddha, this is what Krishna, this is what Christ said when they said life is about renunciation. Life do- renunciation doesn't mean giving all your possessions away. It means not holding on to the energetic sensations in your body. Simply observe them. So how does this apply in the workforce? So you're a team leader, you've, or you're, you're a section manager or business unit manager, executive, wherever or you're the receptionist or the street sweeper. How do you get more confidence? Well, you have confidence, but there's all these blankets on top of you. You've been asked to present uh, at the meeting next week. You don't want to do it because that thought about presenting, you have that thought, the mind observes it, then it assesses it. I don't like it. It sends a sensation that you don't like, and then you get caught in a loop of feeling I don't like presenting. Whereas if you get that sensation in your body that says I don't like presenting, simply observe it. Hmm. What will happen is the law of impermanence will kick in. You're familiar with the law of impermanence? Yes. It Nothing lasts forever. For those who don't know, even the sun that heats this planet will be gone in about 5 billion years. Um, The building that you are in today looks nice and solid, but there will be a time in the future where it is not there. You and I will one day be gone. If you watch this sensation of nervousness, it will eventually dissipate. And when it is dissipated, you won't have that nervousness. This is how you take the blankets off yourself. Because the reason you don't speak up is you feel nervous. Okay, deactivate that. You won't feel nervous. Therefore, you can speak up. Very good. I like this. It's it's something I think you talk about mental momentum in a way. Yeah. Um, and so how do we? Yeah, it's it's easy to say. Okay, just observe. All right. Yeah. So, so how do we how do we shift from our attention staying focused on something versus and in a way where we connect, like more, not so much connect, but we're, we're trying to uh, evaluate or, or do something with it, try and, try and create an action with it versus be, say, the passenger in a way where you're observing and you're just viewing it. How do we be able to switch bet- from one to the other um, so mm-hmm. that mental momentum um, either shifts from a 
a positive, uh, sorry, a negative one to a positive one or dissipates in a way? You don't want to switch from a negative to a positive. And the reason being is they are both feedback loops. And what happens is a feedback loop that you, the reason people want to go to something that is desirable is it feels good. And if you keep going there often enough, you end up with an addiction. You end up with a craving and all I want to do is this. That is at the basis of every single addiction. Alcohol, drugs, our thoughts, social media. No one is addicted to a substance. Controversial, I know. No one is addicted to alcohol. No one is addicted to heroin. No one is addicted to social media. What they are addicted to is the energetic sensation they experience in their body when they have that substance. Mm. So what is happening is I'm addicted to alcohol, so I'm not going to have any alcohol. All they're trying to do is stop the top of the funnel with the cognizing. While I'm not seeing alcohol or thinking about alcohol, I'm going to be fine. But as you know, we can't always control our thoughts. Don't think of a pink cat. What do you got to do? You got to think of a pink cat. And all you need to do is have someone say that. And because the mind is a sense, it starts the feedback loop. And you hear the word alcohol, someone mentioned, then all of a sudden you're um, recognizing it, then you're evaluating it, then you're having a sensation. And then you have that feedback loop, I want more of that sensation, and you get caught in it. So the only way you can break this is by operating at the reaction to the sensation. How do you stop that? In essence, you do nothing. Do nothing. Now, I get that doing nothing sounds easy, but it's incredibly difficult. Something is sparking my mind, though. If we detach ourselves, in a way, mm-hmm. and, and just observe, do then we end up becoming emotionless human beings because we are <laughs> detaching ourselves now from either the positive or the negative. And, and we all know that we respond to emotion um, as a way of we are influenced or connected with people. So I'm just fascinated yeah. how we can balance that because I, I don't think if you just observe... Do you become into a yeah a, a space where you are now uh, a robot? Yes, or you or, or you look like you you've gone missing. <laughs> yeah, and what a terrible way to live that would be. Yeah. Like you've got, a, you've got a young child, and you know starts gooing and going, going, "Daddy!" One day, and you go, "Oh no, I'm not going to get attached to that." Like that'd be an awful way to live. Doing nothing is about the mental side of it. Uh, there's six don'ts. So do, how, do, how, do we, how do you actually do nothing? Well, I'm, and that's why people go, well, then I can't react to it. Um, but that's not what it's about. It's actually about being 100% present to what you're experiencing. If I'm experiencing nervousness or uh, about presenting or experiencing a, I want to have a beer, I've got to have a beer, it's about being 100% present to that. Or your, is your, your young child is a boy or a girl? Girl. Girl. So when your daughter one day goes, Dad, and Dad is generally the first word they say because it's easier than Mum. And when you hear that, it's about being 100% present to her saying that if you then go oh i want to get the photo the camera out and video it you're not being present to what's going on you're actually living in the future because you're thinking i'm setting this up for the future so how do you do nothing well there's six don'ts the first thing is don't label it i'm feeling love i'm feeling frustration i'm feeling excitement i'm feeling boredom i'm feeling anger whenever we put a label on something What we're doing is we are reducing it to a very uh, broad concept. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love sailing. And I love writing books. The one word, the four different things, but we know it means something different. When we label it, it 
we, we, we lose the nuance that is there. So when you feel that energetic sensation in your body, just be present to it. The second is don't own it. The way people own it around, say, presenting in the workplace, oh, I always feel nervous when I have to present. That is them defining themselves by this sensation. Don't judge it. I shouldn't feel nervous about this presentation or I should be more confident because what that is saying is this energetic sensation that is happening in an automated process within my mind-body instrument is somehow faulty, which is a pretty bad way to live because basically you're making yourself wrong. That's got to be terrible. You don't know what programming is in there. You don't know where it's come from. It's just in there. So to say that it's wrong is how can it be wrong? Don't fight it. You know, it's the old Susan Jeffers book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. What a terrible way to live. I'm going to feel fear and think that this is the way I have to progress in life. Uh, you know, suppress. We all know what happens and we see this in white males over 50 who have spent their whole life suppressing their feelings and emotions and they end up with ulcers and cancer and everything else. It's not good to suppress that energetic sensation. Don't justify it. Of course, I'm going to be nervous. This is a big presentation. Don't explain it. I always feel this way when I present. Don't label it. Don't own it. Don't judge it. Don't justify it. Don't explain it. Don't fight it. The six don't. Okay. So there's one in here that I, yep. I would love to go into a bit more around don't owning it now we're obviously talking here when it's a negative type thing when mm -hmm. we're in the positive though when, when we get some sort of positive um something positive occurs mm -hmm. and we're observing it um from a confidence point of view though i think it's good to own it um we, we own it in that space um mm -hmm. Because quite often, especially when we live in a world like uh, New Zealand or Australia, where there tends to be a lot of tall poppy syndrome and we tend to humble ourselves so much, I think at times that can suppress people's confidence. And, uh, and I know from experience, both of myself and with other people, when they actually own things that they are competent in and things like that, and in situations where they are competent, owning it is actually really valuable and also labeling it label okay in a way. okay so so there's a few things in that the first is do you own that i am competent in speaking or do i own that i am competent in writing a book so i'm not talking about actions i'm talking about the energetic sensations in your body yeah okay but in okay so okay i understand that from that perspective but I, if i I am competent at speaking, at sailing, at writing a book. Mm. Um, but the energetic sensation that I feel in my body is just an energetic sensation that I observe. Mm. Okay. But if we, if we, and because and, this is good, if we want to be in a position where we create a state of being in something, that in the situation I own that I'm going to, that, that for me, this is how I'm showing up. Are you talking, are you talking about taking responsibility? Well, it's ownership, ownership, responsibility. <clears throat> yeah. So what I'm referring to, well, you, you, we all need to take ownership for everything. Okay. Um, it's the old saying, if you say something that offends me, that's my problem, not yours. Mm -hmm. because how do you know what's going to trigger me? I've got to take ownership of that. So you take, so when I say don't own it, that is saying I always feel nervous around presenting. Mm -hmm. That's a story that is not true because you, first of all, you've labelled it. That is, it's just an energetic sensation. That right. energetic sensation that you feel might be the same as I feel, you label it as nervousness. I label it as excitement. Okay. But if we own excitement in that situation, isn't that a good thing? I am feeling excited. Yes. 
I am always excited when I present is owning because you may not be excited when you present. Just experience it. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, because the attachment detachment when we're looking at sensations or energy, I get it when we're in a negative space. Yeah. But we're in a positive space to me, it's a little bit different. And, and that's just yeah. my perspective on it because I, I do feel that we, <laughs> we do want to create an attachment to something that is positive so we can use positive psychology to um, help set up the best conditions for future yeah, performance. Yeah, absolutely. So what happens when we own it, we end up in that positive feedback of cognize, uh, recognize, assess, sensation, reaction. Mm -hmm. And because we own it, we want more of it. And how do I get that feeling? And we end up chasing that feeling and that ends up being an addiction. An addiction is nothing more than chasing a feeling. Hmm. If we own it or if we realise that it is just a sensation that is here for a period of time, then the law of impermanence kicks in and then it will go. Well, you can't own something that is impermanent. It's gone. It, it's, it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. So how can you own it? So if you try and chase something that doesn't exist or you're trying to generate, you're going to get caught in that loop and you're going to miss what is in front of you. Mm. The, the, the best way to think of that in, it's easy, and I agree with what you're saying, it's easy to understand, well, it's an undesirable sensation, so I won't own it. But what about the love for my wife? Man, I love her a bit. Are you saying that I should not own that love? Are you saying I should just let it go? Yeah, it's the old saying, if you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they're yours. If they don't, they weren't. The, the only answer to that can be you have to. In my book, Mindset Mastery, I talk about a friend who had an affair and how what happened is he got to the point where he didn't love his wife the way he used to. They'd been married for 20-odd oh, years or whatever it was, and he used to look back and go, oh, man, we had so much fun back in the day. You know, and what happened is that we just don't have that fun anymore. And then he went out and he met someone and those sort of rekindled sparks happened and reminded him of back when he met his wife and he went, well, maybe this is what I need now. He went off and had an affair and blew his whole life up. But you see, the thing is, everything changes. If you hold on to that love from the first six months of your relationship, and let's face it, what's the first six months of any relationship fueled by? alcohol and sex and it's an amazing time it's wonderful it's lust not love yeah absolutely but as you look at any relationship over a period of time it will change and you know 20 years into a marriage you know you might not be having sex every second day as you were in the first couple of months but the depth of connection and love etc that is there is deeper and you could argue better although that's a value judgment than the first six months. But what Anthony was, or, uh, the person in the book was doing, was holding on to that energy from the first six months. And because he was holding on to that energy from the first six months, he missed the beauty of the 20 year marriage, three kids, blah, 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 and what it was, um, what he actually had, because he was holding on to something that he owned. Mm. Yeah, very good. And we see this happen a lot in in life right this is how it used to be i want that i'm going to hold on to that nothing should change that yeah um, yeah the world's evolving but this is not changing those wanting to go back to pre-covid days oh we pretty much have um but you know the world changes if you want to hold on to the past you're going to be left behind 100 mm, so very good so we talk about uh we're talking about the voice inside your head there around uh, kind of dealing with that, those unwanted thoughts in a way and how we can deactivate them. Mm -hmm. When we look at mindset, it's not just about deactivating, but we're also, what are we activating? And so mm -hmm. when we think about a mindset point of view, yes, we can deactivate from something, but we also, sh I think it's also good to be proactive in activating things. And so if we're 
removing ourselves from those don'ts, what are the do's? What, what are the things that we want to do to create an experience or create an energy flow for certain situations? I, I would simply just say be curious. Be curious, act with love, act or come from love is probably the better perception. Just do something that interests you. This seems like it'd be good fun. Let's go have a look at that. Now, I get you're an, you're an EGM of an organisation and you're thinking, you know, Darren, do I really want to be curious about this report? Well, you know, it's what you're paid to do. So if you develop a level of curiosity, it will be easier. When there are things you have to do that you don't really want to do, but you know you got to, it's not about saying, um, yay, I get to do the end of month report now. Woohoo, life is all well and grand. Like, no, because that's just Pollyanna thinking that doesn't have any basis in the real world. You know you've got to do it by dent of the fact you're in the job. Um, you have agreed that you will do it. So how do you make it doable as opposed to i couldn't be bothered this is going to be painful once again it is simply about deactivating there is something in you you have a thought i don't like this you then recognize that you then assess that then sends an energetic sensation to your body that you react by procrastinating so to stop the procrastinating simply observe that energetic sensation in your body this is what all the smart people, Buddha, Krishna, Christ, every sage and enlightened being said, know thyself. Know what's going on in your body. When you know that, you can then just simply witness it. It was Buddha who said, the only truth you will ever know is that which you experience in your body. He called it maya panya, panya being wisdom, maya being right type, the right type of wisdom. Christ came along 500 years later and said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The only truth you can know is that which you feel in your body. If you know it, it will set you free. Everyone else said, know thyself. I think it was Christ again who said, the kingdom of heaven is within. You see what all these smart people are saying, don't you? Pay attention to what's going on in your body and just experience it. Yeah, 100%. We've got a lot of people out there who really try and control everything. And, you know, I think this is something we see. It was probably one of the best advice my dad ever mentioned was uh, don't make it happen, let it happen. Now, there's obviously yeah. a phase where you do have to make it happen because you are, are learning something um, a new skill, etc. But then it gets to a point where you have to let it happen and let go of that control. Uh, for you, is control still a big issue in this world uh, we, that we face? Oh, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Um, there's three sorts of control that we have. We try and control things that we shouldn't. We take credit for things that we don't have credit for. Uh, and then we don't control what we should. So we try and take credit for things that we didn't do. Uh, sorry, we try and control things that we didn't do. Um, salespeople are, are big on this. You know, they ask the question, how do I get you to buy my product? How do I get that customer to buy more from me? And this is what every organisation asks. But what they don't realise is that person he or she will do what they want to. So you, you actually can't control them. The better question to ask is, how can I be in such a way so they want to buy more from me? Hmm. To quote Shakespeare, to be or not to be? That's the question. How, can you, how are you being that will cause them to offer more to you, more business? So we try and control things that we can't control. We then try and control, take credit for things that we didn't take response. Um, we take credit for things we didn't do. Fishermen are great at this. And it's a great example. Um, you ever met a fisherman say and said, I caught a fish? Yeah. They didn't catch a fish. Unless they picked it up with their hands, they didn't catch a fish. They threw a hook into the water with a worm on it and the fish came along and bit the hook. 
if the fish didn't come along and bite the hook, then they didn't catch a fish. To me, that sounds like the fish caught itself. Now, this might sound a bit bloody, bloody, you know, hair, hair splitting, which is unusual for someone with a bald head like me to do. But the reason when we try and take responsibility for things that we don't control, we'd say, I sold this to the customer. No, you didn't. The customer bought it. And they bought it because of their needs, not because of what you did. Sure, you researched them. You put forward a plan that made sense to them. You gave, gave great incentives and great product and blah, 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 blah. But they still bought. So we try and take credit for things we didn't do. We try and control things we can't. And the third area around control that we don't have is we don't control what we should this morning when you brushed your teeth, for how long did you brush them? Did you brush them until your electric toothbrush buzzed at you and said, um, you know, all clean, go away? Uh, or did you brush it for two minutes because that's what the Australian Dental Association said you should do? Or did you brush your teeth until they were clean? I brushed you see it until it felt right. <laughs> yeah. Most, most people, self-included, I wait for the toothbrush to buzz to say that, you know, you've brushed for long enough. But I don't know whether the teeth are clean or not because I've outsourced that to my toothbrush. What time do people leave for work? I leave for work at, you know, when my alarm goes off at 7.40 or 8.40 or whenever it is. Um, they don't, they, they outsource where they're going and what they're doing to something else. So we don't control what we should control. Is that a big problem in the world? Absolutely. Because we outsource our feelings. You said something that offended me. I want you to apologize. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's like going to the doctor and saying, doctor, I've got this uh, illness here. I've got this sore here. I've got that problem there in my leg. And the doctor goes, hmm, I better give your neighbor some medicine. When you feel offended, we're all or happy or whatever. Where do you feel it? You feel it in your body. You don't feel it on the chair behind you. You don't feel it out on the road in, in front of your house. You feel it in your body. It's inside your body. You are responsible for that. Sure, that person in the environment triggered it, but um, nothing in and of itself, uh, think, nothing is good or bad. Thinking makes it so. So you cognize, you hear those words, you then recognize their English words, I know what they mean. You then assess them, I like them, I don't like them. That sends a sensation to your body, you then react to that sensation. I can say something, um, you're wearing a blue shirt, looks like a blue shirt. Uh, I can say, blue shirts are fantastic. And you go, that's a good thing. The person next to you wearing a green shirt goes, well, Darren's a dickhead. He clearly doesn't like green shirts. I've said the one thing. I've offended one person. I've made another person happy. So it's clearly not what I have said that is offensive. It's your interpretation. Yeah, we, we live in a, a fascinating world where everyone's striving for an inclusive world. But all we can do is try and remove the some of the moments of exclusion because we will indirectly or directly exclude someone in nearly everything we do yeah and an inclusive leader uh you know separate diversity and inclusion because it's a whole separate thing and we're well, not totally separate but it is a, a, it's a different topic but inclusion is around how do we try and prevent those moments of exclusion mm-hmm and so, you know, we're talking about mindset mastery in ourselves as well, but how do we, how do we try and prevent those situations where we may exclude other people? Um, and, and I know, yes, they have control because <laughs> it's, it's, it's the meaning they make out of it, but how can we try and reduce those instances where they may not, um, where they may have a little bit more clarity on what your intention is? Yeah, good question. I wrote a book a number of years ago. Uh, it was called Don't Be a Dick. And the theme for that book, the mantra in that book is don't turn your back 
don't cover your ears, don't close your heart. And I think that is a great way to identify if you are excluding. Now, are you turning your back on someone or you go, oh, you know, I just don't want to hear your issues or you know, I don't care about you? Um, I think you can boil that down to what would love do? You know, if love was making the decision, what would they do? Now, love doesn't always mean like, extend the hands and invite everyone in. Sometimes it means um, being open and saying you're not included in this. But it's about being open and upfront about it. That's the, the hard part. Mm. Yeah, it's always it's always a challenging one. You know, and and I think people want to create that sense of everyone connected, everyone belonging, everyone feel like they they matter and everyone feel like they're heard for and that their feelings are noticed and things like that but we can't control all that we're human no, we can't we, we can't control anyone or anything other than ourselves you mentioned it's a hard one and i, I saw the the way you moved on on the video camera here and you could tell that there was an energetic sensation in there okay and you felt that energetic sensation and from that energetic sensation you created a story it is a hard one you heard those thoughts you recognize them then you you cognize you recognize you assessed you had sent a reaction a sensation to your body and you had a reaction is it a hard one oh, i think you just simply sit there and experience that energetic sensation and then once it has subsided you'll actually know what to do the, the advice of, you know, you hear, you know, count to 10 before you say something. Yeah, what that's about is, you know, so you don't make quick. Um, irrational. Right, irrational decision. But the what, what it's about is giving you time to focus on the energetic sensation so you can become aware of it, so you can know thyself. Unfortunately, people think it's the counting from 1 to 10 that is that is useful that's that's pointless it's it's a waste of time because most of the time you'll um you'll say what it is you're going to say anyway if you do the counting most people who spend that period of time not necessarily counting what they have done is they have paid attention or become aware of what they're feeling and they've gone yeah no not going to it's not the counting it's the awareness of the energetic sensation hmm. It's fascinating. We can have great awareness, right? We can be in situations and we can be quite present and we can feel something, right? We can feel a sensation, but for whatever reason, our mind will still override that. We know, we know in mm. our gut it's not quite right, but we still yeah. go ahead and do it. Yeah. That's always a fascinating one for me because you, you can have massive amounts of awareness, but we don't always have that... <laughs> I know whether it's the word control or that that ability to prevent ourselves from saying something sometimes. Yeah, yeah. The the question there is, who or what? What is probably the better term? What is in control? Are you in control? Is your mind in control, or is your body in control? You know, when you talk about the body in control, you know, I didn't, I just, I didn't even know that I reached for that bar, uh, can of beer. I, before I knew, I was halfway through drinking. Um, if you've ever tried to meditate and you set the clock for fifteen minutes and you sit down, you close your eyes, and after about a minute, your body's going, "Oh, I've got to go check something." Oh, how long's the time been? And you move the body and you say, "No, body, sit still," and then the body wants to move because that's the body saying, "Hey, actually, I'm in control. I want to be in control." But what has happened is your awareness has gone off. We're going to sit here for, uh, for 15 minutes or however long. And the awareness is going to be in control. After a period of time, the body will learn that it is not in control, that the body is subservient to the awareness. And that's why meditation masters can sit down for hours and hours and hours on end and not move a muscle because the body has been trained that you are subservient to the awareness. The mind also uh, has the same issues. If you've ever tried to sit down and meditate and uh, focus on the air coming in and out of your nose, the brain will, will go, 
oh, I've got to send this email. Oh, I better check that. Oh, no, this is really important. I said I was going to call him yesterday and I haven't called him now. So now is the time I must. And it keeps telling you this is what I've got to do. When you become aware of those thoughts, it's just a matter of going, no, the awareness is in charge now. The mind will do as I, I being the awareness, want it to. So when people say, oh, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but I find myself doing it, they simply, the awareness does not have control of the mind and the body. That's all that it is. How do you do that? How do you get control of the mind and the body? This is where meditation comes in. Yeah, sort of the buzzword and people say it's this new age fancy thing. Well, you know, bloody COVID immunization is new age compared to um, meditation. It's been around for like tens of thousands of years. Meditation simply means to become aware of. That's all it is. I have lots of people say to me, oh, Darren, I tried meditating, but I couldn't work. Couldn't work it out. I sat down and all my thoughts were just going everywhere. That is what we are after. When a human says, I can't meditate, it's equivalent to a fish saying, I can't swim. When you are sitting down, focusing on the air coming in and out of your nose, and you are aware that your thoughts are scattered, that may be the first time in your day, potentially life, that you have become aware of what your thoughts are doing. Oh my goodness, isn't that a wonderful place to start? You are aware of what's going on in your head and you can then go, I'm going to react to that or not react to that and preferably not react to any of it. Okay, so I can see some people listening into this right now and going, okay, we, we need to be in this awareness observation space but i need to do action so how do, how do we balance the amount of awareness time versus action time okay always have awareness 100 percent all the time during the day that's the first thing action well take action when you need to it's not an either or good good it's what most people get caught in is reaction mm-hmm when you get caught in reaction, that's where most people live their day. They say, oh, act, don't react, act, don't react. And people go, yeah, that's great, but how? The way you act but not react is by pay attention to the energetic sensations in your body. Who knows? Know thyself. <laughs> so your Mindset Mastery book comes out and is, is on all it, good. It, it's out? Yeah, it came out last week. It hits the book stores from April 2023. There we go, April 2023. It's in all good bookstores. Uh, tell me one thing you learn about yourself when you wrote the book. Oh, man, you certainly need somebody else to look at your thoughts. <laughs> uh, so I wrote the book and then I sent it off to Kelly Irving, an amazing editor in um, Melbourne. And she said, Darren, uh, um, not, not a fan of the title. Um, I don't mind your name at the front, but anything below that, get rid of it. I went, oh, that hurts, but it's so accurate. Because I'd written the textbook, not the, the actual readable book. And then I wrote the readable book and I sent it off to my good friend, Dr. Justin Coulson. And he said, Darren, you need to talk to my friend, Editor Kate. And Editor Kate looked at the book and went, Darren, yeah, you got this here, you got that there, move them around and massage this, massage that. Never... So what did I learn? You always need someone else to overlook yourself. When you get feedback from qualified people, you will have an energetic sensation occur in your body. You cannot not. If you react to that energetic sensation, you say, stick it up your jumper. I'm right. You're wrong. I know my stuff. And you end up with a terrible book. I experienced the sensation. I didn't have to swallow my pride or anything because pride is simply an energetic sensation. You just observe it. And then I was able to take on advice from experts who know. Very good. All right. Well, we all need uh, mindset mastery in our lives. And so make sure you check that out. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I've been thinking about this since you told me it was coming on and... The last time I did something for the first time of note is back in January, I booked and paid for out of my own pocket a first-class return ticket to the UK. 
Now, that's a pretty big thing to do because you've got to have confidence in yourself that um, you're going to have future income coming in. You're not going to need this to, to pay for the world when interest rates are going up and inflation's through the roof. But there's also, am I worthy of it? Uh, and people say, oh, because I was talking to someone on a flight home last night and she said, oh, I could never justify that. Why do you have to justify it? It's something you want to do. Why not do it? So there was a big, oh, my goodness, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Uh, et cetera. But that's what it was. And I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Brilliant. You always, it's always good to treat yourself. Uh, what is the one question that you would love to solve? I've been thinking about this one as well. I don't think I would love to solve any question because that is simply being caught in a craving. That is, I want to solve it, I want to solve it. And then you get to the end and that's, okay, you've solved it, then what? Something that I'm curious about, oh, dive deep long into the curiosity of how do we get people to be more, uh, take more greater ownership of themselves I don't think we could ever solve that question. Um, well, we know how to do it. You become simply aware that you are aware of, in control of yourself. Um, but how do we get everyone to arrive at that point? Mm. You can't because that is a craving to have other people do what you want, which is control, and I can't control other people. For you, what is an inspiring great leader and who is someone that you either either is still alive or isn't alive that is an inspiring great leader to you this is a third good question when you sent these through well i've been i've been thinking about these for i think a couple of weeks now and i don't think there's any leader quote unquote leader that i look to and go oh wow i really wish i was like that person what i look towards are authors uh, authors who have taken the time to sit down and articulate their message and research and back it up and put their ideas out into the world. Um, as much as I disagree with the book um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, I respect him as an author and someone who put out his ideas. I, I it's my opinion, I think he's wrong. Um, but, you know, kudos to you. Uh, people I really respect, Yuval Noah Harari, he wrote Sapiens, Homer Deus, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Um, Stephen Coulter wrote Stealing Fire, that's all about peak performance and flow state. Uh, Dr. David Hawkins, the late Dr. David Hawkins, he developed the map of consciousness. Um, they're some of the great authors that not only do I reference in my book, but I just devour their material because they've done the thinking so um, you can, I can learn from them and, and anyone else can if they wish to pick their books up. Brilliant. Uh, Darren, it's been a fascinating conversation and I'm sure many more people would love to learn more about what you do. So what is the best way they can connect with you? If you'd like to download some free copy, free chapters of my book, Mindset Mastery, you can get that from mindsetmastery.online. And uh, once you have put your details there, you'll be taken through to my website, darrenfleming.com.au, and that's 1M in Fleming. Mindsetmastery.online, free chapters. Excellent. So we'll put the, that link in the show notes as well as uh, a link to Darren's website and social media. Uh, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today, Darren. I have really enjoyed it, uh, diving deep into the world of mindset and how we can, uh, I suppose, master it through doing, doing less and achieving more in what we're doing. Uh, a great approach, and we went really deep just around one topic, which is quite fascinating because quite often we don't get to do this with our guests. We tend to move around in different spheres. Uh, but that, you know, for people to be aware and take the time to observe rather than be fixated on something uh, caught in either a negative feedback loop or a positive feedback loop, uh, and just trying to detach yourself and how that can give you that space to um, obviously observe, but then allow you to act without, I suppose, connection or attachment to something. 
and two, that can free you up so you can perform a lot better. Uh, so thank you very much for your insight. It's been, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Craig. I have had a ball. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Where the ordinary don't belong.